Well, listeners, it is Friday. It's around nine o'clock. I guess it's uh, half past nine now or thereabouts. Um, We have the opportunity this morning to talk about questions and answers from God's Word. I already see a couple of questions and answers have been coming in. People have been engaging and interacting on uh, various different platforms, whether WhatsApp or Facebook. Uh, Maybe I should just tell you, uh, Pietro, I see you. I see Shialajit. I see uh, Pietro Small uh, has a voice note. Teresa, I see your questions. Love the complexity of your three-part question. Questions uh, each week. Uh, Marlene Britz, uh, lovely to have you listening in from Fairly Glen Pretoria this morning. Um, uh, uh, Contella. Um, Pietra, um, it's great to have all of you. Thank you for those of you who are commenting uh, on the platform. Thank you for those of you who have already shared um, the show as it's been live streamed out to Facebook. I, I do want to give you another opportunity just to start getting your questions in before we start engaging with a couple of things this morning. You can ask your questions this morning on Facebook, you can drop a comment on the Radio Pulpit Radio Console uh, Facebook page, particularly under the live stream. You'll see currently there's a there's a a live stream with myself and with uh, Tulamu uh, in shot. Uh, please do drop uh, comments there. We will see them in studio. You can send voice notes in through WhatsApp or Telegram. The telephone number is oh eight two six five seven two seven two nine. We are looking forward to those. And if you tweet, you can tweet to at 657 AM. We are standing by, waiting and ready to engage with your various different uh, questions that relate to God's Word. I want to start off by just uh, introducing my in-studio guest this morning. I'm joined by Tulamu. Tulamu, also known as Gundo, is an intern at Central Baptist Church Pretoria, where he particularly serves by creating joy everywhere that he goes. <laughs> he helps out with Awana, which is our children's program, uh, particularly at the Arcadia campus. And uh, Talamo, I'm going to give you the opportunity just to introduce yourself to the listeners so that they know who they are speaking to this morning. Oh, fantastic. Well, good morning, Radio Pulpit family. I was asking Pastor Mark just before we started, what do I call you guys? Is it family? Is it friends? Do you guys have like a cool name you go by? But I'll just stick to family. It's good to be with you this morning and thanks for the invite, Pastor Mark. But like he's already said, my name is Talamo, Talamo Malani, and I'm one of the interns at Central Baptist Church. If you've not heard of us, I think you should. At this point, you should pay us a visit or come check us out. But I'm particularly focused on children's ministry. And in fact, Fridays are my favorite days of the week. Why are Fridays your favorite day of the week? Because Tulama? we Man, have... Hang our... on, Tulama. Just, just hold on. For yes. Two seconds. Like, <laughs> like normally I have guests, right? Uh-huh. And I'm the energy in the room. Oh, I'm yeah? the guy that kind of like lifts the spirit and puts a smile on the dial. You come into a room, brother, you are like a sunbeam. You uh, are you are like you. a rainbow of energy. They're going to cause me to plunge, to blush. <laughs> um, I, I, I love your excitement and your joy and your exuberance. And I love the way that you apply it um, in terms of the way that you serve Jesus and his people. 
But why is Friday your favorite day of the why? week? Why? That's a good question. Well, at half past three today, we have Awana. But you might be asking, what, what is, is Awana? Awana? Yes, <laughs> I was hoping you'd ask that question. It is our children's ministry program from kids from grade one till grade seven and what we do there basically is we play games with them we 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 have snacks with them we sing songs with them but most importantly we learn bible stories from god's holy timeless word together in fact today we'll be looking at abraham um old old story i'm sure you've heard it in well, there's a couple of stories Children's in Abraham's life. Some of them are, are not appropriate for kids. They come with a PG rating. Uh, others, others are just incredible. Some are very difficult to understand. What, what story are you covering well, today? Well, he's about to sacrifice. Dun, dun, dun. Guess who? <laughs> Isaac. And that was what I was thinking of. Yes. Difficult to understand. Difficult to understand. I'm wondering what type of questions we'll get today. I, but I, I'm guessing stumpers. I, I, yeah. as, as people try and wrap their mind around Father Abraham and his son Isaac. It's going to be a scary. As I tell the story today, it's going to be scary. I can already <laughs> imagine. Picture it. He's got his knife. He's got his son. And he's about to go for the stab. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully by God's grace, I can explain it in a good way. <laughs> well, I mean, that story is all about grace, right? It as is. God provides a substitute yes. for Isaac. As God um, as God. Yeah, provides that ram with its horns caught in a thicket mm. uh, and we get this shadow of substitutionary atonement the shadow of a greater sacrifice which is to come Amen. Um, always get excited when the conversation kind of like turns to the person of Jesus yes. Christ how do you go about sharing the gospel with kids at that young age how, how do you go about sharing the gospel what can kids understand what do they grasp what yeah. kind of words do you use so I, I have had to be careful with how I talk to kids only because um only because he it it is so important that we use certain certain language and we don't use penal substitutionary atonement. I have to be careful of my context and who I'm talking to. Yeah. Um so how do I share the gospel with kids? Firstly, I start off with sin or we start off with sin. Yeah. They need to understand that the sin in the world, they're sinful. We are all sinful. In fact, one of the things I like to say is I ask them a question. Do you think that one of our pastors, Pastor Charles, for instance, do you think he's a sinner? And oftentimes they'll look at me and they'll say, uh, we're not sure. And I'm like, yes, he's <laughs> a sinner. So fundamentally, the most important thing we begin with is the, the issue of sin, that we are all sinful since the fall. All of mankind have been affected by sin. And from there, we look at who God is and what he stands for and who we are. And we see that there's a gap between us and who God is. And from there, we talk about how he made a way to bridge that gap through the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, in essence, then, what you're doing is making a case for the gospel to children is no different to the gospel for adults. Definitely. It's not like kids get a watered-down gospel or even a different gospel. Um, the elements that you're conveying to children is the sinfulness of man, the perfection of God, yes. um, this gap that exists between the two of us, the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man in human fresh, flesh, yes. he, his death as a substitute for our sins, his resurrection and victory over the grave, 
and the call on them even in the at the young age to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ definitely so what does the one look like I mean you talk about approved workmen are not ashamed you uh-huh. talk about Bible you talk about Bible stories uh, what do you guys do on a Friday so what it looks like is we first get there and we get the energy levels as high as could be. <laughs> I can imagine you do a good job of getting those energy levels up. I mean, I, I hang I hang out with you on you know Friday mornings from yes. from uh, eight until nine, and we have morning prayers. And I walk out of there thinking I need like a week off just to recover because uh, <laughs> of all the energy that you bring into the room. So I can imagine that with a group of kids. Yes. Uh, uh, kind of like a room full of kids, the energy levels can go quite high. They can. In <laughs> fact, sometimes I'm like, I-, I don't have enough energy to keep up with them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So we start off with that. We we have a song, a theme song we sing together. We break off into smaller groups. And in their smaller groups, they split into grade one, two, three, grade four and five, and grade six and seven. And in their classes, really, they, they look in depth at certain stories or a certain verse. And we just try and explain um, certain teachings from the Bible together with them and after that we have a game time game time is where we all get competitive the blue team versus the yellow team <laughs> I'm part of the blue team so yeah. always always pushing for my team to win and after that we have a time of singing we worship God in song and after that we have the big or oh, lesson almost like a, it's not a sermon but an equivalent of a sermon okay <laughs> after that with the whole group yes. okay excellent and uh, a large portion of what happens on a Friday involves of scripture memorization definitely yes yes so i mean let's just say that there's a parent that's listening in they're in pretoria uh-huh. and they're like hey man scripture memorization the idea of my kids having fun uh, dealing with bible verses and learning god's word and hearing and being exposed to the gospel in an environment that is fun uh-huh. where the person has much with as much energy as delam i mean if you're a parent like me you're actually thinking hmm, my kids might go to bed early tonight <laughs> I, I mean this is like a win for everyone yeah where, where does a want to happen oh it happens at central baptist church both campuses we have a campus in acadia and a campus in at the hill Zwavelburt. well done yes. yes you got it you got it <laughs> so at the hill it's at 6 p.m yes. but at acadia we start at half past three in the afternoon okay half past three at arcadia yes. in the afternoon which might suit those that aren't working and that want to get their kids somewhere straight after school Definitely. 6 p.m at uh, Zwavelput, which might suit those who kind of, you know, want to have supper before they yes. before they take their kids somewhere, or for those that have youth oh. um, as well, because yes. at Zwavelput there's a youth group that happens straight after the 6 p.m. Awana Definitely. Group, or uh, I mean, it starts kind of, it's almost synchronized, maybe a half an hour later or so. I can't remember. I believe it's 7 p.m. at both campuses. You, so, you'd, yes. You'd think I would know because I actually, <laughs> I actually hang out there the yeah. whole evening. My wife and I, I go to a blaze because they, they have fires running at the same time and you can kind of like bring meat and put meat in the bra and just chat with the with the parents that are waiting for their kids um, okay. I, I, but but I kind of arrive at at six and then just plan on staying until everything's done yes. so yeah I enjoy the conversation so there seems to be everything for everybody the kids the youth <laughs> and even the parents <laughs> now now your your salvation story is closely tied to this kind of children's work yes, yes how, how were you saved how, how did that happen oh, that's a uh, 
That's a good question. How was I saved? I grew up in a Christian family. Praise God for that. And really growing up, I was pointed to who Christ is and who God is. And I remember reading the Bible from a young age with my dad every second night or so. And um, so, so that continued. There was a good upbringing in the home, but then church played a vital role in that as well. I remember in 2012 around there, we had Holiday Bible Club, which is similar to Awana, but it's a holiday program at Central Baptist Church Arcadia. And I was in grade 5 at the time. So I went there and we did the same things. We We heard more about the gospel. We had fun. We played games and we did so many things and that week was amazing. So I cannot say for certain at what age I was saved. It was around 12 or 13. Yes, yes. However, I am well aware of the fact that a good upbringing um, that my parents gave me and the fact that I I was exposed to church and at church I was taught more about Christ, that kind of made the penny drop. In God's providence and by His Holy Spirit, I was saved in between those two events. Wow. Yes. Okay. And, and I mean, you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Mm-hmm. Now you now you're working. Like for the, so for the last year you've been involved in an internship program yes. uh, at the church. How did that come about? Why internship? What's the benefits of an internship program? How did that come about? Maybe let me tackle that first. It came about because I have a desire, had a desire, a burning strong desire to get into missions work. Okay. However, I had a problem. So I've often heard pastors, and this is for you too, Pastor Mark, because you also said when you got to Central, I was called by God to be in ministry. And I was like, man, I wonder what that call sounds like or what it looks like. So a big part of me joining the internship program was to really discern and to find out if ministry is a place where I want to be full time. So that's how I kind of got into that. And what have I learned so far? I've learned, I've learned a ton. I've learned how the insides of ministry, what goes around. I've seen how it's a around-the-clock type of ministry or job, if you'd say, and just a whole lot of other things. I don't know if I answered your question. No, okay. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. What do you do in an internship program? What, 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 is your, what does your day or your week look like? What are the kinds of things that you're covering? The kinds of things I'm covering are children's ministry focuses that um, and really that what that looks like is planning um, Sunday school sometimes or Friday Awana day. And I'm also focused on student ministry, which is our ministry where we focus mainly on UP Boston and Tux, no, not Tux, TUT students. And we have a Bible study on a Wednesday night. So on a Wednesday night, I'm busy with that. And on a Wednesday morning, um, we often go to Rittendale High School. And we have a program there with the guys to, to, it's, it's, it's a worship session. We have a song and we share God's word with them. And... Anything that the pastors need to be done, anything that the church needs to be done, <laughs> I, I do that as well. Yes. Okay, cool. And I mean, there's there's five interns, right? And yes. All the interns have are, are kind of like focused on different disciplines. Yes. Carsten is involved in technology, mm-hmm. Dan and Hannah, specifically students, yourself and um, Conrad. Uh, particularly youth and and you the younger the younger kids yes so so lots of opportunities and a diverse kind of application 
and matching various different um, interns to where their skills are yes. and where the need is in the church. Yes. Okay. Um, so, Tulamo, th- this morning we're going to be talking about some questions and answers, uh, some of which have come in, some of which will come in over the next hour and a half. All right. Um, and I am super excited to turn to God's Word. The first question that we're looking at this morning um, is a uh, is a personal question that comes in. Uh, how um, how do I go about praying? Um, what do what does my prayers look like? Sure. Um, and so a great opportunity just to talk about prayer and prayer life and yes. uh, and what prayers look like. So uh, my, my own answer to that question is that prayer is very diverse for me. Okay. Very very diverse. Prayer happens at different times. It happens in different ways um, it happens with different people um, all through my day and all through my week um, I, I, I obviously have personal devotion and praise uh, particularly when I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed at night and there generally I have a, a fairly set pattern of prayer I, I use two mechanisms the first is um, what's called acts so prayers of um, acts taking that as an acronym okay. um, I start off with prayers of adoration, I then have prayers of confession, then prayers of thanksgiving, and then prayers of supplication, which is really asking God for things. Yes. And when it comes to the prayers of supplication, I have a fairly standardized way of praying for that as well. I start off with my direct family, my wife. Uh, I start off by praying for her, and then I pray for my children, and then I pray for my broader family. Um, I then pray for teachers in my life, which in my case would be the kinds of people that I serve alongside. Mm-hmm. Uh, tr- uh, Pastor Charles and Isaac and Jabu together with the elders mm-hmm. um, and Bible study leaders in the context of the local church that I serve and then pray for um, the government I pray for South Africa I pray for um, our president I often pray for the ward councillor in the ward where I live um, I then go on to prayers for those who are sick um, uh, both in my family as well as in the church context and then finally I pray for myself I pray for my day and when I pray for myself this is a prayer I pray constantly the whole way through the day mm-hmm. um, at every opportunity I get I pray for three things I pray that God would make me holy I pray that God would make me wise and I pray that God would make me zealous um, I started praying those things one day when uh, when I read in God's word that wisdom um, uh, was a gift which comes from God and that we're to ask him. And our father, uh, who's a good father, yes. will give us wisdom. Uh, you can read about that in the book of James. Yes. And as I started to think, okay, well, that's a prayer that I think would be would be wise for myself to even pray, this idea of wisdom. Um, I, I thought of the Old Testament and I thought of Solomon, who yes. God asked, hey, yes. what do you want? And he said, well, you know, I'd like to be wise. And God gave it to him. But he wasn't a very good guy. Um, you know, he really messed up yes. um, because he didn't pursue holiness. He yes. he had all this wisdom and he scuppled it. He he used it on on fo- for foolish gain and um, and eventually wrote one of the saddest books. Um, you know, well, you, you uh, just in terms of interpretation from his perspective, anyway. Um, in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, where he looks at everything that he's done, everything that he's achieved, mm-hmm. and and asks this this refrain of a question uh, that it's. Valid Vanity. Yeah. It's all for nothing. It's like it's like wind. It's like vapor. It's yet today and gone tomorrow, just like he will be. And so, I, whilst I do want to be wise and I want to have wisdom, yeah. it's not the first thing that I pray for. I pray for holiness. Yes. And I pray for holiness because God Himself is holy. 
um he 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 is he is a holy 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 god his son is a holy and righteous lamb um and his spirit is a holy spirit um one god in three persons clearly uh, wrapped around this idea of being set apart from sin and and in god's case anyway set apart from creation transcendent um but in my case part of creation part of a sinful creation i want to be holy i, w- I want god to make me holy yeah. i, w- I want to be changed i want to work out my salvation with fear and trembling but I know that it's God that will be working yeah. within me if that's to happen. And yeah. so I pray. I pray for holiness, for, for righteousness. And then I pray for wisdom. But I, I don't want to be some kind of religious zealot at the top of a mountain, you know, kind of barefoot and, 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 just, and just kind of yeah, getting stale. Yes. Um, I want to be zealous for the things of God. I yes. think of Jesus, you know, um, zeal for your house uh, uh, overwhelmed me. Um, I want to be overwhelmed by zeal for God, for Jesus Christ, for his fame, uh, God, for his glory. Um, I, I want to be zealous in the spirit. I, I want to be filled by the spirit and zealous about the things of God. And so those are the three things that I pray for for myself. Holiness, wisdom and zeal interestingly enough every week when we get to the end of our conversation as as we sign out uh-huh. uh, i pray those things for the um for the listeners I, I pray that they would walk wisely that they would live holy and that they would testify zealously and it's related to that ongoing prayer refrain that i have for myself yeah but that's not the only prayers that's my prayers in the morning and my prayers in the evening the reality is we pray all week long you know Mm -hmm. we pray in groups on a tuesday morning i get together with pastors we pray um on a on a thursday morning i get together on zoom with church family and we pray on a friday morning i get together with the interns and and staff and we pray um, uh, we pray before every single service at the church. Sometimes we pray through the night. You know, we just yes. constantly in prayer, and those prayers are very diverse. They know they, they 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 there's a lot of variety in the way that we pray, yes. and I, I think that that's the way it ought to be for us as believers. Our our prayers ought to be diverse, and our prayers ought to be almost as spontaneous and as frequent as breathing you know you don't have to tell yourself to breathe yeah. you naturally breathe all the time i think when it comes to praying we as believers ought to pray like we breathe all the time um, and then because god has made us very very intricate and complex and given us a variety of circumstances in which we can pray our prayers ought to be varied as well i don't know if you want to add anything to that seems like you're taking all the points pastor mark there's one thing though i'd i'd say is how how do we have a confidence to come to god and pray i mean that's often something i've thought about conversations i've engaged with people on and I've been reading through First John this past week and really it's about knowing and there's this assurance that you are a child of God if you have that confidence because of what Christ did for you. And also in your prayers, oftentimes the Bible says he will hear and he will answer your requests if you pray according to his will. So to know his will, really for me, I'd say to add to what you've already said is, is knowing God's will and praying in accordance with his will, which yes. is holiness, which is knowing who he is through his holy word. So mm. the more I know of who he is, the more I'm like, man, I can pray for more things and then my prayers can be 
deeper and richer. D- yeah, and there's a confidence that comes with that. I mean, even as you're talking, one of the ways that I, I've loved to pray is by going to the beginning of Paul's epistles so yes. in the New Testament. Yes. And Paul often starts his epistles off with a prayer. Those mechanisms uh, of of using Paul's prayer to pray for people in the church, I found uh, have enriched the way that I pray for people, yes. that they might grow in the knowledge of Christ and uh, all wisdom and understanding. The other way that I've I've really grown in in praying um, is by going to MatthewHenry.org, MatthewHenry.org, okay. um, and Matthew Henry is known for for really one thing everybody knows Matthew Henry wrote a very very popular commentary which is a devotional commentary um, the, the more I use it the more excellent I feel it is I, 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 I'm I, really yeah Matthew Henry's commentary is, is wonderful and it really does speak to the heart but maybe his greater contribution even than his commentary on on the whole Bible um, is he wrote a book on prayer and he and he and he he puts down subjects and then he collects verses that relate to that subject that allow you to pray biblically on particular subject matters. So, for example, uh, the king or the ruler of the country, and then he'll collect verses and prayers from Scripture uh, and 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 collect them and, and, and present them to you so you can pray in a biblically informed way for your magistrates, for your for your leaders, mm-hmm. for your country, for the for the justices in your country, uh, and so it carries on. Um, I mean, that's just one example. He covers everything from adoration around the attributes of God and verses that apply to that to confession of sin, large portion on the confession of sin, 26 sub-points on the confession of sin, all of which have about 10 verses ascribed to them. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, the, the pervasiveness of sin, um, the wretchedness of man, our need for to have guilt removed. And so, so he moves through various different topics in very weighty ways, presenting God's word so that you can pray on particular topics. I, I've really enjoyed MatthewHenry.org to help my biblical praying. Sure. Sounds excellent. Talamu, when it comes to prayer and teaching young children to pray in particular, I'm thinking just in terms of the work that you're doing at a, at Awana, yes. what's some of the advice that you might give to folk in terms of teaching children to pray? Teaching children to pray. It would be why, why do we pray? The, the, the first question I'd, I'd like to answer for kids is why do we pray? And it's a command. We find it in scripture. It is a command and it's a way we can talk to God. Yes. And how do they go about praying? Really, I, I always go back to because his will needs to be in our prayers is know, first of all, that you can come in confidence, not because of your own righteousness, but because of that of Christ, if you believe in his name. I mean, you can pray as an unbeliever, but that's not what I'm telling them at that point. And and what I'm telling them is the confidence you have is not in yourself, but it's in who has given you his righteousness. And secondly, your prayers, they, they, they shouldn't be selfish. They shouldn't be all about yourself. They shouldn't be, I want to get uh, well, kids, I want to get 10 sweets today. But but your prayers should be focused on loving others, loving God and loving others. The two greatest commandments summed up is, or the, the, all the commandments summed up is, is those two, love God with all that you are and love one another. So really it's the focus of 
Do you love God in your prayers? And are you loving one another? Which is often hard because I'm so easily tempted as well in my prayers to pray things. And I'm like, wait, that sounds so selfish. Um, Okay. And then I have to get back to thinking what God's will is. So the focus is they can have confidence. And as they pray, are they looking to fulfill God's will? Um, you know, as I as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm reminded it's only a week ago that we had an all night of prayer, right? Yes. At uh, at Central, so we gathered together, and there were almost a hundred. Um, there were almost a hundred people in the room. Yes, uh, we started at six o'clock in the evening. No, ten o'clock 10 in the PM, evening. Yes. Ten p.m. in the evening, um, and we gathered and we prayed the whole way through the night. Mm. And in reality. There were folk that were there that didn't get the opportunity to pray out loud because there was a constant steady stream of people that were wanting to pray. I mean, you really had to be on your toes if you wanted to pray (laughs) verbally. Um, And it was just, it was constant. And we prayed for all kinds of things. We prayed for our local church. We prayed for churches in our city. I mean, passionate prayers. And when I say passionate prayers, I mean prayers with Tears in our eyes at about half past three to half past four in the morning for revival in our city. Yeah, um, just a constant, steady stream of prayer. Um, prayer is not something that puts you to sleep. It isn't <laughs> prayer is something that connects <laughs> you to God. It, it 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 changes your your heart and your mind. It, it's um it's so super super exciting. I do want to just recognize that uh, we've received a couple of prayers even while we were speaking about prayer um, from Ursula and. Uh, a couple of comments regarding Radio Pulpit's birthday um, from Mamohale as well as from Pietra. Lovely to hear from each and every one of you. Uh, thank you for your comments. We're going to be shortly, so we've got a couple of minutes left until 10 o'clock when we're going to be going to a song break. Right. Um, but even as we kind of bring this section to an end, um, praying personally when you wake up and when you go to bed praying collectively when you're with God's people in prayer meetings during the week um, uh, all of those things are important there's also the prayers that we make during a corporate worship service right Um, so during a Sunday service what are some of the ways that you've seen prayer happen on a Sunday during services what has stood out for you and 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 what what speaks to your heart when you think of prayers during Sunday services? What speaks to my heart? Can you just elaborate a well, bit? I guess on like, that? you know, we have the pastoral prayers on yes. a Sunday. We have prayers during communion on a Sunday. We have, you know, opening call to worship prayers on a Sunday. There's quite a lot of diversity. Okay. And yes, uh, yes, even yes. within the context of the, the Sunday service, um, on a Sunday, what are some of the the kinds of prayers that stick out, and what is the importance of prayer even during corporate worship on a Sunday? So the one, some of the ones that stand out for me is the pastoral prayer. Really, as we pray together, one person prays for everybody in one voice, and we we, we they present our requests and supplications to the Lord on our behalf and we just really ask for God's will to be done as we worship Him in that Sunday service and as we praise Him for for us to be doing it in a spirit of truth and in a spirit that is just pleasing to Him. So pastoral prayer is, is, is the one that I'd say stands out for me and yeah. So so the post, the idea behind the pastoral prayer isn't that we have in between us and God 
a pastor or a priest who is commissioned to pray on our behalf. The pastoral prayer really is an opportunity for the congregation to focus collectively on prayer. So it's a led prayer so that we can focus on on even one person's prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a person who's maturing Christ, who who prays regularly and who has a living relationship with God. One of the intentions is that it models prayer to the church, to heads of families, to to husbands uh, of wives and to fathers of children uh, and to mothers of children so that that they too can lead prayer within the context of their family units even during the week and so the pastoral prayers often are in our, you know in our context maybe between three and five minutes long mm-hmm. um, and you're covering things like the adoration of God praying and praising God for attributes or for his work that he has exposed to us you're praying and you're confessing sin. Um, in the context of a pastoral prayer, it's a collective recognition of sin uh, and then a collective rejoicing of for Jesus Christ who has covered us and the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and enjoying Jesus and the redemptive work that he's done. And then the pastoral prayer, and that's where it gets its name from, is pastoral in that it's a shepherd of of a flock. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pastor of a church. It'll be an elder or, or, or someone of that ilk praying for the life of the church and mm. that would cover uh, that would cover many practical things sometimes it'll be for for physical well-being there'll be people that are ill in the church there'll be people that 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 need relief whether that be emotional or spiritual relief there'll be prayers offered for those folk and um, but not only that there will also be um, prayers of supplication i mean we have practical needs people need jobs or roofs over their head or food in their belly there will be practical prayers um, uh, in addition to emotional and spiritual prayers. Um, the, the idea, though, is that uh, the collective, the congregation, is being focused to pray for the individuals that are coming out during the prayer. Mm. I, I also enjoy pastoral <laughs> prayers. They, they, they're like a balm on your soul. Yeah. They, and they also they quiet your spirit because often the pastoral prayer will happen just before the corporate reading of Scripture and the proclamation of Scripture. And it kind of, it kind of brings the, the worship service to the to this to the spiritual crescendo as you mm. as you've worshiped God and sung praise to God now you're focusing your attention on God and communion with God mm. and speaking to God and making him aware of your prayers of supplication and your needs and now you hear from God in the in the reading of his word mm. and the teaching of his word I, I've always enjoyed that moment in the worship service where the pastor is praying for his people yeah yeah Talamu, um, when we come back from the break, we've got a couple of questions. We've got one question on demonology, which has come through, and uh, and a couple of other questions, which surely will be interesting. The second hour of the show will be from uh, just after 10 until around 11 o'clock. We are going to go to a music break now and hear some adverts. Uh, some adverts. The music that we're going to be listening to is You Will Never Run by the Rend Collective. AM 
Well, friends, it is good to be with you for the second hour of the show from 10 to 11. We will be talking about your biblical questions and answers. I do want to tell you again how you can ask questions. We've got two questions coming up. The one relates to demonology. The second relates to soteriology, to the study of salvation. Looking forward to both of those questions. How could you ask a question you might ask? Well, you can join the conversation this morning by dropping a comment on Facebook we will see it in studio that's on the Radio Pulpit Radio Pulpit Facebook page looking forward to that um, and then you could also send a voice note or uh, type a message on WhatsApp or Telegram the telephone number is 0826572729 let me repeat that because I said it kind of fast 0826572729 we are looking forward to engaging with you. The first question that I, I want to read out is a question that was asked by Teresa. Um, Teresa asked a three-part question, which I am trying to find on my screen right now. Here it is. Firstly, uh, scriptures and questions. Mark 9, 38 to 39, whilst clarifying verse 39, please explain why was this person able to do this, seeing that he wasn't a disciple? You'd have to read the text in order to understand the context of the question. Let me read the text to you. Um, it says in verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us but jesus said do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward speak evil of me for the one who is not against us is for us truly i say to you Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The second part of the question um, throws us into Acts 19 verse 13 to 16. Why couldn't the sons of Sceva do the same? And let me just read to you the text in terms of Matthew chapter 19 verse 11 to 20. God was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. That's the context. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin uh, were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some interant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims and the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this but the evil spirit answered them Jesus I know and Paul I recognize but who are you and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded and this became known to all the residents of uh, Ephesus both Jews and Greeks and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled uh, also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and the number of those who practiced magic arts bought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail 
mightily. Now, I love that idea of the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily. I love the the growth of the word in the book of Acts. Um, but yeah, you have these seven sons of uh, Sceva, the high priest, um, who are invoking the name of Jesus Christ and trying to perform an exorcism and things go horribly wrong. Teresa's question is, well, why couldn't they do it? Because it seems that the, the guys in, in Mark chapter 9 were doing it. The last text that he that he reads is Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 to 23 and how should we explain these verses so that it doesn't look like it's a contradiction uh, let me just open up Matthew chapter 7 uh, in my Bible uh, Matthew 7 and we are looking particularly at verse 22 to 23 in verse 22 we read on that day you will say many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then will i declare to them i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness teresa as always brother excellent questions complex questions uh, for a friday um but but i am looking forward to at least um um engaging with the three texts because i think that those three texts are related in some ways and unrelated in others let me explain to you what i mean let me start in reverse order with the matthew 7 text um in verse 21 we read that not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven and uh, I, I really want to use this as the key that unlocks the other two passages um on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness it turns out that on that great and glorious day there will be people who said that they represented Jesus Christ who in actual fact didn't. There will be people who invoked the name of Jesus Christ who who in actual fact didn't know him as their personal Lord and Savior. And on the great and glorious day, it's not the works that you do in this life that will justify you before a holy God, but the work that Jesus Christ did in this life that will justify you before a holy and righteous God. Friends, you need Jesus. Um, you, you don't need to be a good person. Uh, you don't need to walk dogs across the road, give money to your church, or um, pay your taxes. I, all of those things you do need to do. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what will save you. What will save you is faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior because God is more holy than you could ever be and his standard is righteousness, perfection, which you will never be. But Jesus was righteous and Jesus was perfect. And salvation is made possible by him. By placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, on the day of judgment, you can stand before the righteous judge of the heavens and the earth and say that the blood of the Lamb has redeemed you, has saved you. What Jesus is saying is on that day, some who have not been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb will stand before the great white throne and will say, but we did things like prophesy in the name of Jesus or cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We did mighty works in the name of Jesus. And Jesus will say, but you didn't do 
the one thing that will get you into into heaven for all eternity and that's put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior you are not saved by works you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone grace alone to the glory of God alone this is so important now How does that relate to Acts chapter 19 and Mark chapter 9? Well, in Acts chapter 19, you have a group of men, seven, who are uh, Jewish um, uh, Pharisees. They're sons of a Jewish high priest. Uh, They have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Um, But they are involved in some kind of hocus-pocus mechanism, some kind of spiritual mechanisms that involves demonology, and they are Jewish exorcists and recognized as this. Um, And they've seen that the name of the Lord Jesus is working on the demons in their in their day and so they decide to add Jesus Christ his name uh, to the list of the kinds of things that they are doing in order to be involved with exorcism it goes horribly wrong because in actual fact they don't represent Jesus they represent whatever deliverance ministry they are claiming to be a part of but it is not a it is not a deliverance ministry at all it, it is unable to deliver any Anyone. They're not actually representing the person of Jesus Christ. And so things go horribly wrong for them. They would be part of that group, which on that great and glorious day, Jesus Christ will say to Lord, Lord, we did not, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works? But Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Even the demons know this of them. The other group in Mark chapter 9, it appears, are um, engaging uh, in what they're doing on behalf of Christ. Um, John says in Mark 9.38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We try to stop him because he was not following us. It looks where John got this wrong is um, he was saying, hey man, uh, these people need to be with us. They need to be part of our collective. They, they need to be with the 12 disciples and Jesus Christ uh, if they are going to be right. And Jesus' point to them is there is no us, John. It's me. Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. The idea here is Jesus is saying, it's not me, it's not us. It's me that's important. Um, and, and in reality, uh, another point to Riso on verse 38 is it's very closely related to what's going on from verse 33 through to verse 37. In verse 33, they come to Capernaum uh, and they go into a house and they ask, and he asks them, what are you guys discussing? But they keep silent because they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. It seems that there's an element of pride that's going on in the heart of the disciples and when they see these other people casting out demons in the name of Christ they're like well surely they must be part of us Um, and it seems that there's there's an engagement and an interaction uh, around this idea of who's the greatest anyone not against us um, is for us as Jesus then later on says uh, in the text there's some deep irony which is going on in Mark chapter 9 but I would say that Matthew chapter 7 unlocks both Mark chapter 9 along with uh, the question that you asked uh, in the book of Acts uh, chapter 19, uh, Teresa, um, that there's these two groups of people. One actually represents Jesus Christ. One does not represent Jesus Christ. Uh, one set of um, 
uh, one set is being affirmed and the other is being denied in the text. Thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, the conversation and uh, appreciate the questions. Um, I do see, Llewellyn, a couple of questions coming in from you as well as questions coming in from Andre. I will be reading those and checking those out um, shortly. Um, in the meantime, I'd like us to kick off a question that comes in from kids um, all the time, and that is related uh, to the sovereignty of God, to the pre-knowledge of God, um, to the fact that God is in control of all things. And the question comes in and sounds a little bit like this. Why, if God knew that man would sin, did he create man in the first place? Mm. Why would that happen? Um, I, I'm guessing that this is a question that comes uh, that comes up at place in places like Awana from time to time. Um, how do you go about starting to answer that question to kids? Definitely. So many times the question comes up after I teach them about God knowing all things. And I tell them I'm going to teach you guys a big word today, okay? God is omniscient. Yay! <laughs> and then everybody's excited. And, and I tell them that God knows all things. He he, Nothing surprises him. And then we, we talk about that for a bit. And oftentimes, then they shake their heads a bit. They put their hands on their chin and they say, But... If he knows all things, why did he create Adam and Eve? And he knew full well that they were going to sin. Yeah. And then I'm like, ooh, that's a good question. I often say that because I'm buying time to try and answer them in, in a way that they'll be able to understand. But oftentimes, really, I just go back to the fact that he is God and he's done and created all things for his own will, for his own pleasure and for his own purpose. Um, why? I don't know. It's a mystery, but we do know that he creates all things for himself, through himself, by himself. Um, Pastor Mark, maybe you can say a few things about that, but yeah. Well, it, it, it is really an incredibly complex question that requires a biblical theology to answer. What yes. do I mean by that? I, I mean, it sounds like a, like a simple question. Okay, so God is omniscient. He knows all things and he knows all things past, present and future. Why did he create man? Why, why did he create man if he knew that man was going to rebel against him? Mm. Because... This world is messed up. It's a fallen place. Yeah. And even at a young age, children would have experienced the fallenness of the world. Uh, and that would create deep pain, even in their young hearts. Deep pain uh, for, for all of us. Um, the fact that we live in a fallen world creates uh, complexity and, and concern and, uh, and difficulty. Based on that, um, based on, on, on the pain and on how messed up this fallen world is, how do we resolve that God knew that that would happen? Why, why did he allow that to happen in the first place? The only way to answer that, as I say, is from, a, is from looking at what all the Bible says mm -hmm. about who God is. There's certain things about God that we will glorify him for, for all eternity, that could never have been known of God if it wasn't for the fact that we live in this canvas of a fallen world. Let me give you some examples. The justice of God. Mm -hmm. The justice of God 
is only understood and known from a perspective of a fallen world. Mm. Uh, the world is fallen and therefore we see something of God's justice. The goodness of God, um, that it reigns on both the sinful and the good alike, uh, that God is good to all men, that is only known and can only be understood in the context of a fallen world. Um, as we continue, and, and think of things like um, the love of God, for instance. Well, the love of God um, was known uh, relationally between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, throughout all time, even before time began. Um, but, but the self-sacrificial love of God is demonstrated in the cross of Christ. Well, that can only be understood in the context of a fallen world, so that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. The mercy of God, that God will withhold his justice even for a time so that sinners can come to repentance, that mercy of God can only be understood in a fallen world. The grace of God that he would lavish and give what we don't deserve can only be understood in a, in the context of a fallen world where we don't deserve what we get. Um, and so it carries on. All of these things can only be understood in the context of a fallen world. Now, in the context of creation, we see something of the omniscience, like God's mind and his knowledge, his creative of awesomeness we understand something of the omnipotence his power i mean you just look at the expanse of the expanse and it is expansive <laughs> you know like the the sun the moon the stars and galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy yeah. in the known universe it, it is mind-blowing how big god is these things can be understood in the context of a created world so god creates the world and now all of a sudden these attributes of god are on display mm -hmm. but the rea the relational attributes of of sacrificial love of mercy of grace of redemption all of these things are understood in the context of a world which is fallen and a world which ultimately will be redeemed by a redeeming God. Mm. And so God demonstrates who he is in the midst of the mess. He, he puts himself on display for his own glory's sake in the midst of the mess of the world that he might be glorified, that he might be magnified and that his son might be exalted forever and ever. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Tom. All I can say is amen. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it is amazing that, yeah. that A, we get to live in this world, that B, even though we are fallen creatures, God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Yeah. And he reveals himself in many ways, right? He reveals himself generally in created order. Mm -hmm. And through created order, we can understand some things of God. We can understand, for instance, his power and his might and his creative brilliance. Uh, we can understand something of his eminence and his majesty and his splendor. The heavens declare the glory of God mm -hmm. and the earth um, describes displays uh, his wonder and, he, and his majesty you know the sun um, is a testimony to the order of God the the seasons tell us something of a an intelligent designer um, who is orderly who brings forth the seasons uh, in order summer winter noontime and harvest but all of these things this general revelation tells us something of God 
But God has specially revealed himself to us in ways mm. that we can not just know of him, but we can actually know him. Mm. Um, this happens in the context of his creation. We know that Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with him in the cool of the night in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, there was already a relationship with God, a, a special revelation of God through his word and through his son Jesus Christ reveals other attributes of of God to us mm. and of course as we as we think of of really where the where the 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 I don't know if this is the right word the apex of scripture the the fulcrum of scripture mm-hmm. the the high point of scripture the climax of scripture the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his subsequent r- resurrection from the grave these things teach us something of this God mm. that, that God isn't just although he is powerful that God isn't just imaginative but he is imaginative that God isn't just loving between Father, Son and Holy Spirit but that God's love flows out even to me a wretched sinner Mm. Uh, you know like wretched man who shall save me from this body of death Mm. well thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who is our Lord and our Savior who even before the foundation of of the world was provisioned as a sacrificial atonement for our sins in other words God knew that he knew that he knew that Adam would sin Mm. but he knew that he knew that he knew that he would be glorified even in Adam's sin as he redeemed a people from every tribe and tongue and nation back to himself God is magnificent I mean he really is yeah sure loved the question uh, and loved the engagement Andre uh, thanks for your question although I'm not 100% sure what it is related to it it might be related um uh yeah, yeah sorry sorry andre I, I i can't actually make tail it might be that something came in earlier uh, that i'm not able to um engage with um Llewellyn sent in a book and asked for a recommendation or opinion on the book um uh, unfortunately Llewellyn i don't have any exposure to the book i did go and look it up online a couple of you know alarm bells and question marks go off immediately in my mind as i saw the content of what the book is about but unfortunately i, I haven't read it and so it can't can't make comment on on something that i'm not a hundred percent sure of um but thank you for uh sending in uh the question i i, I do want to make um a couple of uh, uh books available um to folk this morning first of all let me just r- raise up a book um the passion of Jesus Christ by John Piper um, a couple of weeks ago I gave away four copies of the books to people who called in with questions and then I didn't bring the books in to client services in order to get them to the people so the folk that are involved uh, that would include a long time listener Penny who I know is listening in today because I saw uh, her comments um, at the beginning of the morning um, Penny I've got a book here it, it is about to get posted to you Bev van Furen I hope that you're listening this morning we're going to get one to you and Glenn Wilkin uh, there is a book which is standing by to get to you as well um, I will take those through to client services straight after uh, the show this morning um, but I have two more books that I can give away today the, they are Strange Fire by John MacArthur uh, The Danger of Offending the Holy Spirit with Counterfeit Worship they are weighty books uh, I mean I'm talking like 300 and 
30 pages. They are hardcover. They have got great uh, graphics on them. Uh, I've read the book. It is an intriguing read. I have two copies that I can give away uh, to folk that ask questions this morning. I would like to uh, make that option available to folk. If you send in a question in the next, uh, let's say, 15 minutes, um, and it's one that we read over air and one that we engage in over air, I'd like to get the book to you. Uh, That does mean that if you send in a question via WhatsApp, uh, you do need to send in uh, along with the question your postal address so that I can get the book posted to you. Uh, If you send in a question via Facebook, I will engage with you after the show uh, and you can private message me your postal address and uh, we will engage uh, with you on that. Um, Let me just uh, read. Uh, uh, Andre has sent in a a little bit more detail Uh, Andre from Cape Town, good morning Uh, I'd really like to know what is your or Radio Pulpit's perception and possibility of uh, that their listeners in terms of the advances and onslaughts of false and deceptive doctrines and its perversion into many churches today over TV and radio particularly the advances of um, the NAR movement the New Apostolic Reformation movement Um, and then he's just uh, giving a personal testimony he was recently rescued only by his grace out of a word of faith uh, fraternity where the gospel of Jesus is dispensed either under gospel light omitting the essence of the gospel of Jesus or gospel plus additions to the gospel um, is taught basically another gospel uh, thank you uh, Andre, Andre and your timing of your question was pretty good because this book is definitely for you brother um, and so Andre I will I will contact you straight after the show uh, and get your postal address but there's a copy of Strange Fire uh, written by John MacArthur which I think is going to be very very helpful um, to you and uh, I will more than willing give you some of my perceptions um, regarding the advances and onslaughts of false and deceptive doctrines Uh, I'm going to engage with you as well Talama when it comes to false gospels what are some of the false gospels that you see on display in the city of Pretoria? What are some of the, the false gospels that you hear of or that you have been exposed to? Been exposed to is it has been Word of Faith. Word okay. of Faith gospel. There was a time I think I mentioned it to you. So that's kind of like a gospel of attraction, right? Yes. It's the idea that it, you get to speak things into being rather than God ultimately um, being who being responsible for creation definitely and i mean it's whatever your mind can imagine you can get <laughs> and and ultimately that makes that makes man big and it makes god small definitely. That, that, that's what it does it, it, it's try it's trying to uh, do the exact opposite of what we've been speaking about in the first half of the show where we were talking about the gospel yeah. where we present us as sinful and God as holy and that there being this almighty gap between the two that we can't bridge yeah. um, and our desperate need for Jesus Christ in order to reconcile us to God what word faith does is it makes God smaller and smaller and smaller and man bigger and bigger and bigger and in reality is making the gap um, <laughs> uh, one which we're encouraged to bridge ourselves yeah. through self effort self work or often uh, finances definitely yeah and in, even in that stream there's a sinless perfection gospel i've heard as well mm. i don't know if that falls in the category but definitely heard a few folk come to me a few years ago and tell me that you've got to be sinless 
and if you've sinned after you were saved then you are doomed and I was sitting there like how oh, I'm doomed definitely because I'm not sinless but yeah this those are the two I've been exposed to yes and and so I, I think rather helpfully um, Andre uh, you, you spoke about this idea of going either above the line or below the line so gospel light going below the line omitting the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ or, or, or gospel plus going above the line additions to the gospel now now we see this in two ways either we uh, 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 below the line omitting the essentials of the gospel uh, the idea of gospel light taking out things that are important to to the to, to the understanding of who God is, who mm. Jesus Christ is, either His person or His work, mm. um, are, are, are mitigated and are are, are are reduced. So Jesus died on a cross as our example rather than as our substitute, or Jesus was a great teacher rather than Jesus was Almighty God mm. in human flesh, God mm. with us, Emmanuel. That would be gospel light. Um, adding to the gospel would be in order to be saved, you need to um, exercise faith and works mm. so um, for instance you need you are saved by your baptism or you are saved by um, by giving a certain amount to the church or you are saved by doing certain activities yeah. in other words you must add to the work of Christ these are this would be a gospel plus well m maybe just to say very frankly Andre that anything which adds to the gospel or anything that subtracts to the gospel is not a gospel at all it mm. is a false gospel you can read about that in the book of Colossians chapter 2 where they talk about the philosophies of man where they talk about uh, where Paul talks about aestheticism where t Paul talks about adding works to the gospel anything which adds to the gospel or subtracts from the gospel is not the gospel at all you can also go to and I think we might have done it fairly recently in a show but you can go to Revelation chapter 22 for example where Jesus Christ is speaking and Jesus himself says anyone who uh, who hears the words of this prophecy if anyone adds to them God will add the plagues described in this book and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book again it's the idea that there is a line and the line is God's word and the line is the message that concerns Jesus Christ and you can't add to you can't add anything to it you can't subtract anything from it which means we need to be very very careful the kind of church that we go to mm. and the kind of um of teaching that we subject ourselves and our families to that 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 what is at stake is eternity yeah. um and we can't go above the line or below the line thank you very much andre i'm i'm really hoping and looking forward to getting a a copy of strange fire to you i have no doubt that it'll be helpful as you work through and consider all of these things that was an excellent excellent question um, and I'm just going to go for the next question that came in. Um, and the next question that came in is from Saras and says, uh, Hi, Pastor, what do you say to a person that asks you about all the bad things that happens to kids? Why is he not prevented? And so, Saras, I am going to. I'm going to just rephrase the question as I understand it. But basically, why do bad things happen to good people and even children? Why is this world so messed up? And uh, Tulamo, again, I'm, I'm going to ask if uh, you want to kind of kick us off and I'll, I'll add to the answer. Yeah. 
Why do bad things happen to good people? And even to children. Even why, why, to is this, children. why is this world so messed up? It weighed down on me. And why doesn't God prevent these things? Right? If, he's, if he's so loving and he's so powerful, yeah. why doesn't he in love stop bad things happening to good people? It, it, it had weighed down on me a few years ago also as I tried to think and, and, and I wrestled with it and I tried to understand it. God is all powerful. Why would he let such things happen? And where I landed really was that, again, it went back to my understanding of who we are as a people and who God is, that we are sinful and we do not deserve any goodness, really. Yes. We are wicked. Every one of us is wicked, is evil. Our heart is, is far from God. Goodness is only experienced in who God is. So I had to understand first and foremost that because I'm evil, all that I do is evil and all that I'm around is evil. And unless God's mercy reaches into my life, and he shows me mercy and goodness and grace. Unless he does that, then I will not experience any sort of goodness. I don't deserve goodness because I'm not good. But then the question then becomes, then why doesn't he do that? So he sees that we're wicked and we're sinful and there's evil and there's pain and there's suffering. Then why doesn't he, like I just said, show us something of his mercy and grace? And I, 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 I was reading at the time Romans and I was thinking of Pharaoh and what he does and God like we've mentioned in the first half of the show he does things for his own glory for his own purposes and for his own will he shows mercy and grace to whom he wants to show mercy and grace to hard one to at the time for me to understand to grapple with but I understood that it's what it's what God's word says and he decides who he wants to be merciful and gracious to. Yeah, so so when it comes to why do bad things happen to good people? Mm. I mean this is a this is a slightly trite answer, um but it really summarizes a lot of theology. That only happened once, um and it was to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, I, I I remember in the Gospels there's a there's a point where a young man comes up to Jesus and says, "Oh, I say a young man, but I don't think he was actually referred to as young or rich in the actual text." But a man comes up to Jesus and and refers to him as good teacher, and uh, Jesus says, "Well, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that is God, and that is true. <laughs> only God is good. Mm. Uh, you know, um, uh, often." Uh, this idea of of goodness we 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 ascribe it um very often to ourselves you know are you a good person well everybody thinks they're a good person um and we definitely ascribe it automatically um to children in a way that we think adults can't attain because they've been corrupted by being in this environment for too long but in reality that's not true there is only one that's good and that's god and Mm -hmm. it is true to call jesus good because he is the holy son of god he is fully righteous and fully perfect and amazing and jesus himself is good the fullness of god dwells in him in bodily form Mm. um uh, but but when we think of man we, we mustn't think of of man being innocent the truth is all men have sinned and um, and fallen short of the glory of God, and David rightly says in the Psalms that even in his mother's womb he was he was born into sin. He he understood that we are that there's a part of us that is corrupt by virtue 
nature of being in this fallen world mm. that's the one thing but it's a bit of a red herring the question is why do bad things happen to good people the, f- the start is there's no one that's good mm-hmm. we do need to recognize that but still why do bad things happen to people that we love people that we wish bad things wouldn't happen to why do we get hijacked why why do why do kids sometimes face abuse and all manner of hardship in this world and the answer is because this world is really really messed up i mean it really and truly is we humans are fallen to a point of depravity which manifests itself in absolutely disgusting ways mm. the reality is man is evil and our hearts have been corrupted by sin and we hunger after things that we ought not to hunger after and we do things that we ought not to do and we say things that we ought not to say and we live lives in ways that we ought not to before holy god the bottom line is the world is messed up humans are messed up there is a type of depravity which has entered into this world because of sin that has come to all men it affects all of us now number one it's infected all of us so that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and that through one man adam sin has actually come to all men and so sin has infected everyone but it also affects all of us so that the world is actually groaning. The whole universe is groaning for something which is better, for an answer to this. Um, When we see injustice in this world, we rightly cry out for justice. When we see abuse in this world, we rightly cry out for vengeance. But part of the problem of being in this fallen world is that we are experiencing the consequences of the fall. Mm. We are experiencing the difficulties that come from living in a sin-saturated environment. What can be done about that? The answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to save us from our sin, yes, and to save us from our individual guilt for sin and to save us from our individual ultimate consequences of sin, to reconcile us to God. But Jesus comes into this world and he starts the process of change, of reordering the world in ways which bring God praise and glory now this kingdom this idea of the kingdom coming through christ this is experienced first um in the hearts and in the minds of those who have been saved by jesus christ and it is expressed in and through the church in this world Mm -hmm. but the truth is even in a fallen world the church is not always victorious but there will be a day where his bride is presented to him faultless and pure and without any hint of 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 sin there will be a day when the king returns and establishes a kingdom which will have no end where sin will not reign and where every injustice will be made right it's to that end that we look at with excitement now now that is very difficult to convey to a person who's presently going through a struggle who's Mm. presently going through hardship and who's presently experiencing the consequences of living in a sinful environment consequences maybe uh, that that they did not cause themselves but have come into their life that have that unwanted consequences of living in a sin saturated world but to them we need to um, share and explain the love 
and the beauty of Jesus Christ and give them a hope for a dawn which is soon coming, a hope mm. for tomorrow, a, a bright hope for tomorrow, because this world will not always be like this. Jesus Christ will have the ultimate victory. The King will come and he will right every single wrong. Amen. Soros, Amen. that really was a great question and I, I do thank you for asking it. I appreciate it and uh, I look forward to engaging. Um, Llewellyn, thank you so much for um, all the uh, the questions that you have sent through. Um, I certainly will look at the content and try and understand the content um, uh, but there's quite a lot of reading that's going to be required from me so I, I'm going to have to <laughs> uh, get back to you um, uh, either later today or during the week. Marlene has a question. Uh, Marlene, I'm all out of books, so unfortunately I can't pass a book on to you. Um, but she asked a question on Facebook, and it's related to unicorns. Very interesting. We read about it in Numbers 24, verse 8, and Job 39, verse 9 and 10. Um, and she talks about the New Age movement, and many are confused and think that it's a horse with a horn. Um, she read up about it and uh, talks of a young buffalo, not a horse with a horn. Uh, she just asks a little bit more information. But did you know? that there were unicorns in the Bible? Um, no. <laughs> so, if you had to go and read, and, and these are like, there's, there's actually a series of passages um, uh, in Psalms, in Isaiah, in Numbers, uh, and elsewhere. If you had to go and read your King James Version, mm -hmm. it will talk of a unicorn. Um, and that's the word that it uses. Um, it's not the greatest interpretation uh, of the word um, it really is a interpretation which comes resting primarily I would think on the Septuagint which talks of a mono um, kind of horse figure and I, th I think that it's been received into the King James um, by the pathway of the Septuagint but in terms of the Hebrew it's really talking about an animal uh, with a horn certainly one of the texts is horns plural um, and it's talking about an animal uh, with a horn and so uh, a buffalo or a buck would be a more appropriate interpretation of that text Marlene uh, thank you so much for asking the question you are right though it does get abused and uh, and and gets uh, uh, abused in the context of things like the New Age movement. Um, there are some very interesting animals which are described uh, in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Job. I think mm. of Lev Levithan and I think of Behemoth. Um, fascinating creatures uh, that uh, that just in terms of interpretation seem uh, to refer to some kind of dinosaur-related animal. Glenn Williams says, Answers in Genesis provides a good answer uh, to the unicorn question and then he points to answers uh, in genesis.org which is a place that I would often go to uh, to answer those kinds of questions um, to think of the biblical unicorn as a fantasy animal is to demean God's word which is true in every detail um, and then they give quite a long account um, of what each one of those verses um, is speaking to if you had to google answers in Genesis and then type in extinct animals and unicorns in the Bible it should get you to the article Marlene I'm sure that you would enjoy it and I do want to say thanks to Glenn uh, for commenting Glenn often listens to the show and drops very good comments uh, often on Facebook I see that uh, today he's sending in a WhatsApp uh, thanks Glenn for engaging with us Tulamu yes when it comes to 
when it comes to kids, I, I just want to bring this back to uh, Awana and teaching kids. Um, when it comes to uh, preparing our youngsters for real life, mm-hmm. you're now in your 20s. You're almost in your mid-20s. <laughs> um, you're now in your 20s, um, and you, you, you were born in a family that was God-fearing. You came to faith in Jesus Christ at a young age. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that parents can do to help their children to prepare for their 20s and to live in this world which is fallen, this Mm. world with all kinds of questions and this world with all kinds of difficulties. I've often heard the quote, if you're not discipling your kids, the world is. And I think the best thing a parent can do really is from a young age, teach your kids the full counsel of God's word. Yes, yes. Teach them about all things, all matters. The truth is, Somewhere we are learning something about someone or other things, and what better place or what better way to do that by, but by your own parents pointing you to the only truth that we have, which is God's word, and you being saturated in that environment and growing to know more and more who God is. Because the truth is, the minute we step outside of the bubble, because there comes an age where we can step out of that bubble of leaving. Our, our parents' protection at home yes. and going to the real world and we see sin almost at its peak yeah. and we like, what is going on here? Without a foundation of knowing that there is sin in the world, who God is, what we are, how we are supposed to relate with one another and how we are supposed to live our lives, without that foundation, it's so, so, so hard. Mm-hmm. So I would say... Um, disciple your kids Disciple mm. your kids Teach them God's word yes. And Yeah Keep and, doing that And, and you know I, I, I want to give Two practical ways Of discipling your children And the one is Catechism Yes uh, Catechize your kids And the second Is is what you've spoken about Anchor them in God's word And, and the reason I, I'm going to leave What I think is The primary for second So let me start with Catechize your kids. Uh, the idea of catechism is um, questions and answers that will give them a biblical framework um, uh, for the rest of their life. Uh, a couple of good catechisms. There's the Westminster Catechism, um, which is quite technical and uh, and 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 uh, I mean very very thorough. The New City Catechism is the one that I've used with my children. Um, simple questions with simple answers. Uh, you can find that by just typing in New City Catechism, and I've. Used used it with my kids from the age of about six and I've sat and I've gone through the New City Catechism with my oldest daughter when she was 18, 19. I found it a very useful way of bringing a a holistic approach to God's Word, a whole lot of questions that deal with with what God's Word says is in its entirety. Mm. Um, So it'll talk about the person of God, the person of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, redemption, uh, salvation, the church, um, and even end times. Give them a good, broad understanding of what the Christian faith is. However, even more than catechize your kids, Mm -hmm. is introduce them to God's Word as their anchor. Mm. God's Word as the answer to the difficult questions which they might have. If if all that you get is church dogma, so all you learn is what your church says about a range of different things, 
when the chips are down and you need to make a decision like one way or the other you might just decide to change your authority from one church to another or from one bible teacher to another and base your your new understanding on a matter on whatever the latest greatest person who you're listening to is saying Mm -hmm. you will be like a ship without an anchor listless at sea in the midst of a storm but if you want to hold firm even in the midst of a changing world and even in the midst of a very complex world with complex questions if you want to hold firm to the truths of God hold firm to the person of Christ if you want to stand on a rock that cannot be shaken or moved then hold and cling fast to scripture. Mm. Parents need to give their children a high view of what God's word is and what God's word says, even from a young age on a range of topics. God's word is sufficient for all matters of life and godliness, and it is without error. You can stake your faith and trust uh, your salvation to it. And so teach your children what God's word says about sex and sexuality. Mm. Teach your children what God's word says about the church and about Jesus Christ and about God and about sin and about what sin is and the consequences of sin. If you teach your children what God's word says rather than what the world around them is saying Mm. and teach them that this is the anchor that we hold fast to even when the world changes today it might be the issue is sex and sexuality tomorrow the issue might be creation and creationism even as the conversations that the world is trying to undermine God in um, changes your kids will be able to hold fast to that which will not change Mm. the 66 books of the Bible um, the Old Testament and the New the revelation of God from start to finish and so I would really encourage that's what you said I'm affirming it encourage um, parents to anchor their children in God's word Um, there's a comment uh, for the current show um, that's coming in from an anonymous uh, caller Uh, it's just um uh, answers in Genesis. Uh, oh, I, I, okay. I'm gonna have to read it. Sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to understand. Uh, oh, young Earth creationism. Uh, dinosaurs on the ark were they? Uh, let's keep human interpretation of the creation off radio pulpit and not dictate young Earth creationism and dinosaurs on the ark. Uh, thanks for that, Nun. Look. I do understand that within the context of uh, Christendom, there are many approach, approaches to um, uh, to creation and to how creation came about. Um, I think uh, with all believers everywhere, uh, I would affirm uh, what is called uh, creation out of nothing, that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. I do understand that there are some good Bible teachers, I think, particularly of um, uh, uh, there's a number of of good Bible teachers that might differ when it comes to things like the age of the earth. However, I have freedom to give my 
perception, uh, my interpretation on these matters, I definitely hold to a young earth creation. So that would be God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. I'd base that on an interpretation from the book of Genesis, chapter one and chapter two. And uh, when I'm answering questions uh, on air, I'm answering questions from that perspective, which is why I would point folk uh, to understanding uh, unicorns and such like to a website such as Answers in Genesis. Uh, That might not satisfy you uh, in terms of an answer, but it does explain uh, why I would use that as a reference uh, and point people to that and why I looked that up uh, there. Uh, Thanks very much for the comment and uh, uh, thanks for the engagement. I really do appreciate it. Folk, as we come to the end of the show this morning, I, I do want to um, uh, kind of sign off uh, with, uh, with, with a, with a sign-out that includes an ongoing prayer that I have um, for many folk. Our prayers do go out for all the elders as well as deacons who hold the line in local churches, as well as for missionaries that are sent out from South African churches uh, into mission fields and serve on foreign shores. I think of a missionary that we engaged with uh, even this past week who's serving in Japan, who's back uh, for a year of uh, sabbatical and uh, great to partner with missionaries sent from South Africa to foreign shores. Our prayers and much respect goes out to first responders in our country for police and for defense force and for those who dispense justice in our country, for firefighters and paramedics and our nation's nurses as well as medical personnel, as well as correctional facility officers all through our land. You have been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We are going to be going to news shortly and so until next week Friday. Walk wisely, live holy and testify zealously. God bless.